Welcome to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. Every week, she's bringing inspiring guests to help you embrace motherhood the cool mom way. Emily knows firsthand being a mom is hard AF, but she's passionate that doesn't need to be the end of the story. Shift your perspective on what it means to be a mom while learning practical tips and mom hacks you can use right away. Stay you while nailing the mom game. That's what being a cool mom is all about. Class is now in session. Here's your host, Emily Kylo. Hello, gorgeous goddesses. Welcome back to Cool Mom 101. I'm your host, Emily Kylo. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have a super exciting episode for you guys again, and there's so much value, so much amazing information, so I cannot wait to share it with you. So before we get into it, let's quickly chat about the confidence tip of the week. So this week, I'm shouting out my seven-day confidence glow-up mini course. So in this mini course, I'm giving you journal prompts. I'm giving you rituals. You're getting tips and tricks to really get you feeling chic, connected, and oh so fucking fly. And it's just really going to help you take that confidence to the next level in all areas of your life. Now, did I mention the best part? It's free. That's right, F-R-E-E. So run, don't walk, and go get your copy of my Confidence Glow Up mini course. And to get this course, just head to bit.ly slash confidence glow up. And I'll link it in the show notes for you as well. Can't wait to see what happens for you with this course. It's a great seven-day glow up. Let's do it, honey. Okay, so let's get to today's episode. So I am chatting with Amanda Darby, who is the owner of Amanda Darby Coaching and the East Culinary Studio. So Amanda is a nutritionist who coaches rebel moms to their own food rules one bite at a time, and she is burning down diet culture, which I love. So for this episode, we are chatting intuitive eating and what that means, and we really get into how you can go about starting that process of intuitive eating. We chat meal prep tips for families, which I know it's always a topic that comes up. Um, It's hard to feed yourself, let alone your whole family. Um, So it's something that is really important, I know, for all of us to kind of hear some different tricks about. And we talk, of course, about diet culture and the impact of that. And lastly, we chat about postpartum nutrition and its importance. So this episode is just packed with so much information that I know you are all going to love and really it's going to soak in. And for me, nutrition is so important. As you know, I've been working with a nutritionist, shout out to BB Vitamin, um, and it's been just really an amazing journey. So I love, 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 love what Amanda's doing, and I love that she's focusing on moms because we, you know, you often don't think of yourself first, and she's bringing that back with a very important topic, which is nutrition. Okay, let's get to it. Here's episode 39 with Amanda Darby. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited. My pleasure. Okay, we are going to jump right into the mom fashions. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Studied. (laughs) What's the best part of being a mom? Uh, The best part about being a mom is actually reliving my own childhood and then seeing it through my mom's 
eyes and having that perspective and then reconnecting with my mom and being like, I get you now a lot more than I did before. Yeah. I see you. <laughs> yeah. I see you. I see you as a whole person now and not just like previously, like someone who does my bidding. Yeah. So I think coming full circle on that has probably been my favorite part of motherhood. That's really awesome. And I don't know about you, but I find that my appreciation has continued to grow. Like the older, my, my son's not even two yet. And I keep appreciating more and more because my mom had four kids and I know you have three, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I just have such an appreciation. So I totally love that you said that. And I, I feel that hundred percent. What is the hardest lesson you've learned so far as a mom? Uh, hardest lesson is definitely realizing that sometimes your kids, I'll explain this, your kids aren't broken. Sometimes your kids just have innate, like who they are might be rubbing up against who you are. And like, you can't always problem solve every single problem. Um, and sometimes your problem solving is actually creating a worse problem had you just accepted who the kid is for who they are. and the, worked around that instead of trying to change them. I probably made that mistake with my oldest a little bit, trying to shape her right. where I should be trying to mold her and like help her become a better version of herself instead of trying to change who she is. Totally. To make her the version that fits, like you said, with your personality more or something like that. Yeah. That and it's really cool. a personality clash. It's not like there's anything really like drastically you know, dramatic about our relationship. It's just, she's a very different person than I am and that's okay. Yeah. And that's great. Uh, what is your daily ritual? What are the things that you do in your day, whether it's morning, afternoon, that you need to do to feel kind of grounded? Um, I am definitely do not like routines on any way, shape or form. So I don't have like a set ritual every day, but the one thing I do do that starts my day off is I have an espresso machine. So I wake up and make myself a, a cup of coffee, whether it's an Americano or a latte or an iced coffee, whatever, you know, the season is calling for. Um, I love coffee and like truly deeply love coffee. I'm a foodie. So I just, I love that moment where I get to wake up and have coffee. Like I would never trade it. Sometimes I'll drink bl black tea because that sounds good that day. <laughs> but like whatever that hot cup of like substance is in the morning is like my favorite. Totally. I love so. that. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Um, I was going over this with my husband and he <laughs> told me to say something else, but I will say it is actually <laughs> my husband. <laughs> I'm Aww. so grateful for my husband. He's like, don't say that. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> going like, to definitely say that. <laughs> I know. He's like, that's not even that good. Um, <laughs> he was like, you should say like, you know, the house or something that's like very pra practical for this time period, you know, our health, which I'm all grateful for, for that. But like my husband is like my rock and he's such a good co-parent and he brings a lot to the table. And sometimes I hear other parents speaking about their spouses and I'm just like, those are not the problems I have. And I feel really grateful for that, which is not a comparison. This is not like a moment for you to be like, comparing yourself to what, like what I'm saying about my husband, but it's a moment where I'm like, I am so grateful that in the moment I met my husband, um, almost 15 years ago that like we made such, that was like the best decision I ever made was to be like, to choose this person. And he chose me and it is a good, it's like a decision you're hundred percent in control of. And like, that was a good decision. Absolutely. And I always say too, like the person that you if you choose to have kids, the person that you have kids with, like that's a really big decision because you're tied for life, whether you stay together or not. Yeah. Um, and you know what? You spend so much of your time with this person. So, you know, you want it to be like a really good fit and someone who's just going to be supportive and there for you. And so when you find that and you have that, it, yeah, you got to be so grateful for it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really, truly am. 
That's awesome. So last one of this opening segment here, what is your why for your life? So what is what really inspires you, keeps you going, is the reason you create what you create, all that good stuff? So there's a couple of things that are, are my why. One is I truly think I'm put onto this earth to help women and moms overcome these nutrition battles that they face every day about their bodies or like what they're eating. And there's a lot of shame with that. And I'm all like, girl, we don't have to live like this. There's a better way. Let me help you. Um, and really it's not even help you. It's like, let's just bring out the best of you and like double down on that. And then people just feel so much freer. So I love, that's one why I just love opening that and unlocking that for people. And then the second one is like, I love that um, I run two small businesses. I, I've done a lot of crazy things. We've lived in the Netherlands. We lived here in Austin. We moved from Seattle. We've, we've done some crazy things. And I, I love that we are an example to our kids for what is possible in life. And you don't have to do the, um, you know, in America, we've got like this very 1950s cookie cutter. You know, you have two kids, you hit these boxes, and then you just like coast the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Like, our lives are still meant for us to be living fully as a parent. And like our kids are meant to be folded into our lives. And we always say that we aren't a family focused family or sorry, we are a family focused family. We're not a mom or a parent focused family or a kid focused family. Right. We do everything in best of our family. And so I'm really proud of those two things. That's kind of our why is that we try to be like a good example for our kids, but also at the same time, still like honoring who we are as individuals. Yes, that is so important. And it's something that, I was aware of as I was becoming a parent that for me, the idea I always had in my mind was I always wanted our partnership to still kind of come first in that way. So in a similar vein, it's like, I never wanted us to be those. This isn't a judgment either. I just, I really agree with what you're saying in that you want to be an example for your, for your kids. And would you ever want your kids to be scared to live their life fully or not go after their dreams? I think we would all say like, no, you don't want that for your kids. And then you think about, well, if that's kind of the example that we're setting, how can you expect them to do something way yeah. different? You know, you have to be able to be seen in life in order to do the things you want. And I don't care if being seen is like wearing board shorts with flip flops in the middle of winter, like down like high street or wherever it is in Vancouver. I don't remember the, like the name of it. Like I can't remember the road, but like, like you do you bro. And like you like live your life to the fullest, whatever that means. And like, but don't live in shame and don't be afraid to be seen. Totally. And then when you add in the element of children and a lot of, I think moms, but also dads, parents, in general are guilty of putting all the focus onto the children yeah and not still pursuing yeah them. yeah I, I hate how moms do that mm -hmm. I, I hate I, only because it breaks my heart that people might be living trapped yeah. and like they've trapped themselves in and they don't always see it and but they're doing it at the cost because they're like well i'm doing it for my kids and i'm doing everything for my kids and while that's important and we should do something sometimes for our kids you don't always have to do everything for your kids and i, I that traps you emotionally absolutely yes so. that level of martyrdom is just not necessary the way i see it and i think you're a great example of someone who is really going after these goals and dreams that you have and just think of what an example that is for your kids. And like you said, what it looks like for you might not be what it looks like for your kids, but the fact that they know, look at mom, like she's kicking ass with two businesses. They wanted to live overseas and they did it. You're, you're going after these things. Then like you said, if for one of your kids is that they want to 
prance down the street in their, you know, middle of winter with their board shorts on, great, like follow, follow that. So at least they, they know that that's available and possible for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to hear on that note, I would love to hear what your businesses are and kind of the, you know, evolution story. So how did it start? All right, so I own two businesses here in Austin. One of them is a culinary studio. It's called East Austin Culinary Studio, where I do one-on-one cooking classes with teams. So corporate, corporate team building is that one. That's one piece of it. And like, I'm I'm only like jumping around on this right now because I'm like, we can't do this right now because of COVID. I'm I'm doing virtual classes, but I I sure do miss those in-person classes where I'm taking teams through hands-on cooking classes. So I also do one-on-one coaching where I'm teaching people now virtually and it's through how to cook. So I'm teaching them how to cook, how to chop, how to do all these things virtually, which is actually a lot better because they're having to do it all themselves. And I am literally coaching them in their ears, like I am with a headset on (laughs) and like telling them step-by-step how to do things. And then being like, well, what do you think? And they're like, I don't know. No, what do you think? And they really hone in on that. Well, actually, I think I do need to do this this way. And I'm like, exactly. You knew exactly. So building that confidence a lot faster is actually has been like aided by virtual classes. Right. So that's the cooking part of my business. Then I have a nutrition side of the business where I do one-on-one nutrition coaching. And that's a three-month package and it's 90 days to confident eating, which is the intuitive eating part of it. Teaching moms how to become intuitive eaters so they can quit dieting. That's yeah. the second piece. Um, this all started back, uh, well, I started working in restaurants when I was 14, which I'm not even sure is legal. What's legal age, working age in Canada? I don't know. Um, 16? I think it might be 16, but maybe it is younger. I don't know. That's funny. I don't think, I here know. <laughs> in Texas, it's definitely 16. So I would be like not allowed to work <laughs> that young nowadays. Um, so I started working in restaurants, a little small cafe near my house with my best friend. And like, it was a really small, intimate community that helped build those culinary uh, skills. I actually got fired from that job. A couple years later, I grew up a little bit. They hired me back, but I decided to work in the kitchen. Um, and then from there, I went to more kitchens and did professional cooking. And by the time I was about 22, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And it's not for me. And so I was like, what am I going to do next? And I really wanted to do nutrition. So I went back and got my master's in nutrition. And then when I got done with my master's in nutrition, every time I worked with nutrition clients, nobody knew how to cook. And I was like, ah, okay, look, forget everything you know about nutrition. It's really not like so micromanaged and like highly detailed. Just know how to cook. Just learn to cook. If you can cook, it's healthy enough. And that's where I've built my business and like everything I believe about food and nutrition from that point forward, just being like, if you can cook it, it's good enough. Let's not get caught in the details. Right. I love that simplifying things. And I think in today's wild world of over information and it's just always flying at you. So I think anytime you can simplify things for your clients, it's a huge, huge win. Yeah. So something I really wanted to talk to you about, and you already had mentioned it now, is diet culture. Mm -hmm. So what is your kind of take on diet culture? And then maybe you could walk us through a little bit of how you work with clients on that. So what are some of the things you kind of teach them or walk them through to work their way through that? Okay. So diet culture is like this belief that if you lose weight, you're, you're much healthier for it. And diet culture is usually you're doing really shady things to lose weight and it's at the cost of your mental health. Mm-hmm. So these are the types of things people might be thinking. They might be thinking, I shouldn't be eating 
I shouldn't eat bread because bread is unhealthy. Well, turns out that's not true. A lot of people around the world eat a lot of bread. <laughs> and like, oh, it's- go to it, Europe, like you said, you lived in the- Yeah, but the Dutch live on like really crappy milk bread, actually. Like this really, like what would be the equivalent of Wonder Bread? And <laughs> like, cheese. <gasps> Dairy. Yeah, geez. They actually like small children and anybody that's Dutch and that might be listening, we can talk about it. I'm happy to <laughs> joke, joke with you, but they eat for lunch every day. It's like a piece of bread and uh, a really thin slice of meat and a really thin, thin slice of bread with butter. And like, this is what they eat every day. Like men come in with like a half a loaf of bread and like a pack of cheese and then pack of bread and then they make these sandwiches like children. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> but then I'm all like, wait, hold on. This is what they do. And like, they're incredibly healthy a very healthy culture mm -hmm. and they don't have like the same chronic disease issues that we're having in America. So like maybe there's something to it, you know, just, you don't have to always be like having these super uber healthy meals all the time. Um, so cool. things I walk my clients through is the biggest thing is having to reconnect yourself. I always say this to my clients, you have to reconnect your mind to your body and your body to your mind. So you have, usually people are so in their heads and they're telling themselves all these false beliefs about nutrition. Like we have all these things like I should be having zucchini noodles, not pasta. Pasta is bad for me. I'm going to get fat. I'm going to die. This is like the, the chain of events. <laughs> Narrative. Yeah. And like, that's really simplified. But like, if you dig in deep enough to clients, they're like, why can't you have bread? Why can't you have carbs? They're like, well, obviously I'm going to get fat. And then like, if they get fat, they, they're going to die. And like, this is what America has taught people. And I, I don't know if Canada is quite the same, but I know like it's somewhat similar food cultures, I think. Not exactly, not, not, but like food beliefs wise. Yeah, I think it's like similar, but also has some nuances that are different. And even they recently re-released, which not everyone pays attention to, but it, I think I it shows the cultural norm. They re-released the kind of like pyramid of what you're supposed to eat. And one of the main things, which you'll love, one of the main things it says, it has like tips for like the actions behind it. So try and eat more meals that you cook, eat with your family. So these things that go along with the food, because I yeah. do think you have to look at this holistically. It's yeah. not just like you said, you eat pasta, you get fat. It's like, that's not really what we need to be looking at. It's like, what's the whole process behind it? Yeah, because if you look at Italy, Italy, that's not the case for Italy. And you know what? Japan eats a lot of carbohydrates. They eat a tremendous amount of white rice. And guess what? You know what they also make a lot of? Ramen. Like, that's all wheat. Wheat noodles. Like, udon's all wheat noodles. Ramen's all wheat noodles. Um, it's not rice noodles. Huh? Delicious. Delicious. So good, right? I'm sure you get a lot of that in Vancouver. Lots of good yeah. ramen. Lots of good sushi. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we are saying what you kind of start with your clients is connecting back the mind with the body. Yeah. So once we kind of clear, <laughs> diet cultures have done a lot to like get and infiltrate our minds to impede our ability to trust our bodies. So what it, then I then do is be like, we go back to hunger cues. Tell me when you're hungry. Tell me when you're full. And there's a scale for that. It's like on the scale to one to 10. And then like, we try to stay within like a three to seven, three to eight range, depending on like what a client wants to do and like what they're, where they're starting from. And so we're like, I don't want you getting too hungry because like, Diet culture tells you when you're too hungry, you're being good because you're not eating. So hunger is good, right? So like clearly, yeah, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> if anybody's listening, that's not good. Don't get yeah. yourself too hungry. And like, there's no reward for, for getting yourself so hungry that you're shaking. That's too hungry. Though occasionally it might happen. Like we're human. Might, mm -hmm. You know, we might be delayed in traffic. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> but also like on the flip side of that, you don't want to be eating too much either. And like, just because also, I mean, for the, just for the, 
practical reason, like you don't want to be having to buy clothes every six months. Like you want to be able to stay in the same clothing set, give or take, right? Like this is my main reason for not wanting to gain weight is like, I like my clothes and I don't want to <laughs> grow out of them. Like, no, no. I mean, like I've really built a wardrobe I really love. Um, so the reason why I advocate for people to not gain weight isn't for the fact that I think gaining weight is bad or the vanity side of it. It's just that stable is actually healthier than yo-yoing. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so reconnecting to your hunger cues. And if you can get to a point where you can listen to like that last bite, there's a moment your body will give you off the signal. And like, this is our last bite. And like, for a lot of people, that's the moment is most difficult to honor because they're like, but I want more. And it's like, yeah. why are you wanting more? Why are you pushing yourself beyond that comfort? And that is the moment that I coach a lot of people on. And it's the hardest moment to learn is to say that I'm actually satisfied and I've had enough and my body is signaling to me that it is full. And like, that's the hardest part for people to listen to because there's a lot of grief that kind of comes along with it. Be like, but I'm sad. I don't get to finish this or, you know, there's like chill star. <laughs> yeah. I like this. I'm enjoying the, the dopamine rush that it's giving me, you know, I'm enjoying, you know, also they're starving children. You know, people grew up with their parents being like, you know what, you need to clean that plate. There are starving children around the world. And so then they feel guilty that there's still food on their plate. So there's like a lot that comes up in that, that moment right there, the last bite moment that people really love being coached on. They're like, they love the support to be able to double down on what their intuition is saying. Yes. And on that note, what do you, like, how do you define intuitive eating? So what does that mean to you? And what does that look like? Intuitive eating, how I define it, and it can be defined in a lot of different ways. For me, it's honoring your body. It's honoring and respecting yourself at all costs, creating boundaries and saying like, I'm hungry, I eat. I have this craving, I eat this food. Um, when I'm full, I stop eating. Also at the same time, I'm sometimes gonna eat what people might call fun food or junk food. I don't need to be obsessive crazy about my nutrition. At the same time, I'm not gonna sit around and only eat food that makes me feel like a rebel, which, you know, like, yay, rebel nutrition, like I'm just gonna eat whatever the, whatever the hell I want, but physically makes me feel like crap. So there are foods that make me feel full of energy and, you know, having that energy force that really you can feel when you eat healthy food, even though I don't like to label healthy food, but for the context of this conversation, yes. I'll say quote unquote healthy food. Like that nourishing food, like yes, whatever is for your body. Yeah, exactly. So super nourishing. And then the, and digestion, paying attention, like how many, and like people don't like to talk about this, but how often are you having bowel movements? Are your bowel movements solid? Are they, are you having diarrhea? Are you having chronic constipation? These are all signals to me. Like when I work with you as your nutritionist, if your body's functioning in a way that it wants to function, if any of that is going awry, then we look at like, what, what are you eating and like, what could be causing that? And then I encourage you to eat more of the things that would be helping your body along in that process, but not obsessed. We're not doing it obsessively. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It is such a hard balance to kind of figure out because as you know, you think of people who have just, this has been so ingrained, this diet culture. And for me in particular, as someone who's recovered from an eating disorder, I find that exact thing you said. It's like, I sometimes find that I kind of fluctuate between rebel eating because I want to be like, see, I don't worry about what I eat. <laughs> right. I like, I know what foods make me feel the best. Yeah. So I find that is like an interesting balance that I'm still kind of working through because I do know, I intuitively know what, you know, makes me feel my best. I yeah. know the way that I need to eat. I thousand percent do. But I, I agree. Most people know. 
Yes. There's that other side though, like I said, where for me, and I'm sure people listening understand this on, maybe it's just that it's been so ingrained that certain foods are bad um, or good or whatever it is. And then you go too far on that spectrum yep. and you're too restrictive. Well, or you might go through a period. I think what happens to a lot of young women is that we go through a period where we, our weight fluctuates. And then we're told that if our weight fluctuates, it's going to be permanent. And if you don't do something about it, you, you're going to just, it's just going to go on forever. You're just going to keep it. gaining weight. That's it. <laughs> you've it's 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 an endless cycle right but i think women like what we need to normalize is weight gain and that sometimes like say for example during uh coronavirus and co uh, quarantine you might put on an extra 10 pounds or 20 pounds whatever and you know what it's okay and you know that once your life goes back to somewhat normal or you get it like you realize what you've changed or what habits need to be like eliminated you're going to go back to normal because your body wants to go back to baseline yeah. But if you keep yo-yoing up and down, up and down, that actually makes it so your body will continuously gain weight because it's like you've, you've lowered the set point each time. Like yeah. The amount of calories your body will require gets actually less and less the more you yo-yo diet, which is, means that you are going to put on more weight and be more susceptible to putting on weight, which is why I, this work is so important for moms because I think you need to set a good example for children because mm. the best thing you can do for children is not to get them into this yo-yo pattern where they're panicked about weight gain instead making slow changes and or just being more relaxed about it so their body can go back to their natural set point on its own totally so something I was also curious to ask you about is why and you just kind of mentioned it now why is it so important to think about the habits we're creating with regard to eating and our children. So what, what does that look like? And why is that so important? So a child, when they grow up to be an adult, they're going to do eat whatever they want. Their nutrition is going to be their business. The sooner you recognize this as a parent, the better, like you can't control everything. Your kid's going to have their own preference. Your job of the parent is to provide the food. The job of the child is actually to choose to eat food. And so the more you interfere with the child's ability to listen to their inner cues of hunger, that's a problem. So what you want to do is continuously develop a healthy, normal relationship with food for kids with healthy boundaries. Now, this is the, the part where parents are like, oh, I just let my kid eat whatever. No, no, no. There's got to be boundaries. You know, there's set times that we eat. And like for your family, it might be different than my family. But, you know, we have breakfast, uh, snack time, lunch, snack time, and dinner. And then, you know, like depending on like what I made for dinner, sometimes we'll have a fruit, like a piece of fruit for snack. Because like, you know, not every dinner is a winner. You know, like even I'm a professional chef, chef and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this one you weren't that super into. So yeah, let's have a piece of toast and um, a piece of fruit. Like it's fine. But here's the thing. Like my kids, they always eat what we're going to have at the dinner table. They're not allowed to swap anything out. We all eat the same thing. Those are the boundaries I'm speaking of. I'm not saying you got to have like your kid has to eat vegetables all the time or your kid has to eat this or they have to have organic that. Those are just like micromanaging details that don't matter. If your kid eats vegetables, I mean, you know, good for you. If they don't, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with you. You didn't do anything wrong. My kid, my second, my, my boy, he's a, he really wants to be a picky eater. Like he's really trying hard. It's sticking. And, and I'm like, uh, like, so for him, we have to really encourage him to try one bite. And what I tell my children is we try one bite to explore the food. We do not try food to like it. You don't. Liking it is actually too much pressure on a child. You don't have to like it. You don't, we don't taste food to like it. We, we taste food for the experience. Not, I mean, how many times have, as an adult, have you, you tried something and you're just like, this is not for me. Yeah. Right. You're no. allowed to have that. Okay. Children are too, right? Like children should be allowed to be like, you know, that one's a hard limit. I'm not, I'm not into that. 
So no thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they and they're never allowed to say that they they don't like food. Um, they always have to say um, for me and this like you you shape your words the way you want to shape mm -hmm. yours for your family. But for our family, we say, um, you know, I don't prefer this food because like it says I don't like it, but you could like it. Whereas it's like this food is disgusting. Then that signals to your sibling. Uh, FYI, we should not be eating this and like we need Ew. to band together. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Ew. Yeah. And like that can, that can go south in a, a family of three kids pretty quick where they'll all of a sudden like there's like a mutiny against the broccoli or whatever. <laughs> oh, broccoli. Like, yeah, no. Down with broccoli. Yeah. That's a great tip actually. I love that. And do you have any specific meal tips? So I know as busy parents, it's often difficult to all of a sudden need to think about a dinner. So do you have any certain meal tips that you want to share with us that are, you know, tried and true for you? Okay. Interesting question. I get this a lot. <laughs> Funny enough, I actually don't meal plan because I cook so, so, so well and I don't like to plan. I buy ahead of time. Okay. Three to actually I get a meat delivery. So I always have meat in my freezer. I put out multiple bills during the week. I always have like five vegetables on hand that I will be cooking that week. And then I always have carbohydrates on hand. I know every night how to use those items to make a meal. Right. So I, I have found there are people who are planners. If you are a planner, you need to plan your meals out. <laughs> if you want to use a meal service for that, please look into, and I'm not affiliated with this. I just use it myself and I gift it to my clients when they work with me. So my one-on-one -on -one nutrition clients and or my one-on-one -on -one, uh, cooking clients, they get a whole year of cook smarts gifted to them. And that's a meal planning service that plans out your meals. And then you can, it generates your grocery list for you. I if you are, two, and it's only, I think for Amer in American dollars, it's 70 bucks a year, which I, I have to tell you, I think less than 10 bucks a month. Like mm -hmm. if it solves this problem for you, do it. You have yeah. permission. And like so many times I find parents don't make these financial decisions that can make their lives so much easier. And money is a tool that we can wield to make our lives easier. And I really oh. am an advocate, advocate for that. Um, so that's one meal planning thing. Or you just sit down and come up with a routine. Monday nights, it's meatless Monday, which is so mm. cliche, but like I, I just threw it out <laughs> Uh, you know, Tuesday could be like, um, noodles. Taco Tuesday. I know. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say Taco Tuesday. I'm going to go a different direction it for you. <laughs> but I was thinking, I was like, you know, you could always do pasta night and like every night you can do a different type of pasta. You can do different shape, different sauce and like explore that. And like, I think a lot of times another thing that you need to pay attention to as a parent is, are you making food planning and food for your family too hard because you're too ingrained in diet culture? Are you thinking too much? Like you have to make the healthiest meals for your family because once you break free of like, like making the healthiest meals, what do you actually want to cook for your family? Do you want to cook sloppy joes? And again, I'm sorry. I just don't know like all the Canadian like nuances. No. Like, like, but it's like, for me, I think like some people might think sloppy joes are like just too unhealthy or like, I'm going to say poutine because at least that's the one like, really <laughs> Canadian does. Yeah. Like, let, like, what if like, that was like one thing you made on a regular basis that your kids love to eat. And like, that was just like one of those comfort meals that like your kids are going to remember when they're older. And like, every time they make this one thing, they think this is my home. This is my childhood because kids actually eat, can eat a lot. And <laughs> like, they don't have okay. to eat. They don't have to eat a lot of like, it doesn't have to be so vegetable focused. It can be part of the meal. It doesn't have to be the whole meal. Like whereas adults, that's a different story. Like I think, you know, we, we can have more vegetables and focus more on it, but kids need more carbohydrates and fats to build um, their little bodies that are growing so fast. So it's very yeah. different. It's a very different um, nutrition component that for children. Totally. And, and really, I think food, they should be develop, you should be developing the relationship to food with the kids instead of so hyper-focusing on the nutrition because they're going to do that when they're adults. 
they're going to choose what they eat as adults and they're going to be whatever healthy adult they want to be based on the nutrition and information that's available to them as adults. The relationship is more important. Not being afraid of food, not being worried about what if the food is organic or if like there's, you know, uh, sugar in it. You know how many times I see new parents and if this is you, I don't think this is you, but like <laughs> anybody that's again listening, you're not being thrown on the table. I love you. And you're being, you're being called to be into a group hug. Um, not allowing their kid to have sugar. And they're like, I'm not going to let my kid have processed sugar. And like, I have my third kid now. And like, I just know that like, you just can't do that. It's too restrictive. That's how kids, like that mentality right there is starting to form eating disorders in children. Because mm -hmm. they will rebel against you, but then they'll feel guilty. And then this can create bulimia, anorexia. And this is, these are all disorders that are actually based not so much in the food, but like in the control of the food. People yeah. mistake eating disorders isn't about the food. It's about the control. And like for a lot of children, it's about the control parents have over their children. So don't control your child's diet. Be aware, have healthy boundaries. Don't let them have snacks before dinner. You know, don't let them spoil the appetite. You know, grandma had it correct. Don't spoil your appetite. Don't protect your appetite at all costs. You want to come <laughs> to every meal being hungry because like, as, as grandma said, right? Like um, being hungry is the best seasoning to eating. It's like, whatever that saying is. Do yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they're probably going to eat more of whatever you put out there. Yeah. It's like you said, explore it. Not necessarily that they have to love everything you make, but I think you're setting yourself up for a better success rate if, yeah, they're not completely just um, willy nilly <laughs> having all the snacks all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not like a free for all. <laughs> that's my point like you get as, as a parent if you're cooking dinner but your kid is so so hungry my suggestion is to like be like here's the vegetable that you don't want to eat and be like here's some sauce you know you can sit at the table and have an appetizer so whatever they don't want to eat throw that to them first and be like hey if you're so hungry here have this yes and that's that's what the french do the French start with like their vegetable as like the first course for kids. And it's like sometimes like just as simple as a shaved carrot salad with lemon juice and salt. And like they'll eat that first because they're so hungry. <laughs> and they, then they learn to like develop a positive relationship with that. Yes. Um, so like. I love that. And you know what? My oldest brother does something similar that I think I'll definitely adopt something like this is he does that. He puts out like kind of cut up vegetables. If like you said, if they're, if they're com kind of complaining, like, Oh, I'm so hungry while you're in the middle of cooking dinner. Yeah. He'll put out like a tray of veggies <laughs> and it's like, help yourself. And they do, they love it. And those, yeah, girls, it those girls, you know, you, again, you just have to set the stage. You don't know what they're exactly going to you know, have for preferences, but those girls are very good eaters and like love all the vegetables now. So I think it works. <laughs> this, this reminds me of another tip. Like when you're out at a restaurant, you've got two choices. You can suffer through the beginning chaos of your kids being hungry so that when your meal comes, you guys all sit down to eat, eat together. And the kids are just like so hungry. They're like, you know, they're just eating their food so fast, but then it's a peaceful, quiet meal. Right. Here's what a lot of people do. They give their kids like a lot of snacks while they're trying to wait for dinner. But then when, by the time the parents meal comes, like the kids are like now full and now it's like chaos while you're trying to eat. And so like, we've always sacrificed that time before our food comes and just like suffer through the hunger. Like our kids are legitimately hungry and don't get me wrong. It's not fun, but like, we're not hurting them by being like, we are waiting for our food no. to come. And like, no, you can't be patient. Five minutes. Too. I think it's yeah. okay. <laughs> and they get a little rowdy but we do our best. But I always think it's worth it so that they eat the meal that we pay or paying for instead of snacks. And I think yeah. snacks are sometimes a really good tool to have in your back pocket, but it's not always the same tool you have to go to. 
Yeah, I will confess that it's probably one of my best tools right now, or not best, um, one of my favorite tools. So I'm glad we're having this conversation because it's not to shame me, but it's just to, you know, bring it back into my forefront of consciousness because it is an easy quote unquote, especially if your kids like mine who just constantly eats and will eat anything. It's like he loves the snacks and then he's quiet. <laughs> yeah, totally. I get this. I get this. I mean, we've, we've traveled a lot and we've seen a lot and like, there's nothing that we haven't done ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, like I've, I've learned the hard way. This is why I know. It's like, I've learned yeah. the hard way. You got those magic tips for me. I love it. <laughs> uh, out of curiosity, what was your favorite like home cooked meal growing up? Oh, I got this. They asked for my mom to make in the middle of um, Seattle summers every year, uh, homemade macaroni and cheese, like casserole style. That's mine. Wait, but what did your mom put on top? Uh, I don't know. It was always like crunchy. Okay. Know. Maybe it was just like how the cheese, like. My mom used crackers that have like a little butter on top. Ooh, see, no, no, that's like pro move. That's all it's pro. That's awesome. like, that's legit. I love how we have the same one though. And I will say, cause as you were talking about that, that's the first thing that like popped into my mind. I was like, Hmm, I'm kind of craving Mac and cheese now. <laughs> so Do I was, like, it. Ask her. <laughs> See, but tell me, would you let yourself have that? Would you normally let yourself have macaroni and cheese or what are your thoughts around macaroni and cheese? Yeah. Like now? Yes. Yeah. Um, cause, because I, I'm, I've got, come a long, long, long way. So I would say yes now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really hard for women to admit that we are going to eat the things that a lot of people might think are the no foods. The bad. And I think we need to talk about like how the no foods are easily incorporated into our daily lives, but no one talks about it because like wellness influencers on Instagram are like so gung ho about being wellness that they won't show the normal side of eating, like the yeah. things that they're, they're eating behind the scenes because they have a lot of shame about it. That is so. such a good point. And wouldn't it be a better world and a better kind of anti-diet culture vibe if we put out there the things that we eat? And I mean, I definitely will. Um, you know, I'll put that I'm yeah eating my mac and cheese. I haven't thought of it that way before, but I think that's a good point to anyone listening. Like if you, a lot of you guys have audiences and just think about that. If you're holding yourself back, from posting something like you're eating your favorite dessert or whatever it is, maybe think, think that through again. <laughs> and also being like, you don't have to quantify it. You don't have to be like, well, I worked out today or this is gluten free yeah. or this is dairy free. You can actually just put a picture and be like, I love mac and cheese and I'm eating mac and cheese. So end of, yeah. End of story. I'm really enjoying this. I feel super satisfied and nourished. End of story. Like you don't have to say anything else about that. And if anybody calls you out on what you're eating be like, mind your business, stay in your lane. Yeah. Seriously. Stay in your lane. <laughs> We have not, we have no time for that. Yeah. <laughs> so thinking back to a time where, I mean, your body goes through so much change, which is when you are growing another human, which you've done three times now. I've only done the once. TBD. No. You once. Again. Um, you know, it's a lot and there's a lot of changes that happen into your body and there's just a lot going on. And then like we talked about you, you know, birth this child. It's amazing. It's awesome. Then I think our culture is very skewed as to what the postpartum period looks like. It's getting, I feel like the conversation's coming up more, but there's this idea. I think there's a lot of focus around the woman's body and the quote unquote bouncing back. And a lot of that is related to 
um, nutrition, like Mm -hmm. diet, not in the way of a dieting, but a lot of it is related to, you know, what we eat and how much we exercise. That's how it's kind of portrayed. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear your take on that and what you think we could do a bit differently in that postpartum period, nutrition wise. Yeah. I have a couple of thoughts. Um, one, uh, you shouldn't, you should be really listening to what you want, like really deeply listening and not for the Dorito craving. We all have like (laughs) the craving for like something rich and decadent. It's not that, but like when your body is like, I really feel like soup. And even though it's like 90 degrees outside or 30 degrees Celsius and, (laughs) um, you know, um, being like, that's what my body's craving. My body's trying to signal to me what it needs and listening to that and giving your body what you want. And your new, in your postpartum body, your body's actually trying to tell you what it wants and needs. If we listen, we can hear it. But if we turned it, if we've turned it off for so long, there's a lot of confusion in trying to listen to yourself. You're getting mixed signals and you don't always know what to believe is true for what your body's calling for. That being said, there's some things I'd like to recommend. Uh, if they sound good to you, do not eat raw food smoothies, cold food, like nutritionally speaking, like from a Chinese medicine perspective, all that, that takes a tremendous amount of energy as in calories to burn off those foods. And of course we just heard, Oh, burns calories must be good for us. Right. Oh, it's so great. I'm going to double down on the smoothies. No, no, no. It's sucking energy out of your body to like break down food. No, no, no. We want to do the opposite. You want to actually eat foods that are already somewhat broken down and heated up that are going to be soft to digest, easy to digest and gives your body a break because you're, you're, maybe you're doing breastfeeding, your body's trying to produce milk and needs all the energy to be doing that. Also, you're so sleep deprived. I mean, there's no good way to put it. And like, if you're pregnant, listen, don't be afraid of it. It's just a reality of being a mom is like that first couple of months are brutal and like, it's okay. It's not fun. And we get through it, but like nutrition is not what you should be worrying about during that time. Save all your energy. So like, um, cooked roasted vegetables, soups, broths, um, smoothies actually aren't the worst because they're actually, you know, blended, so it's a little yeah. bit easier, but if, if, if your body is running really cold, cold fingers, cold toes, savor from raw fruit, stewed vegetables, stewed fruit, like pr- prunes are a terrible example. I can't believe I just thought of that, but I've seen <laughs> apples, <laughs> like homemade applesauce, yeah. plums, like you could cut those up, put a little bit of sugar. Oh my goodness. Sugar. Um, no, no. You could actually make the fruit taste good and stew and put it on top of like pancakes or, you know, you could put it on top of, um, even an English muffin or toast. It doesn't have to be fancy cooking. You can take something that sounds good and just make it work for your meal right then and there. So keep it simple keep it. I think you should keep it to warm foods because your body's healing. There's a big open wound, whether you've had a C-section or, you know, you've given birth birth vaginally inside is our uterus is a huge open wound. Yeah. I just, yeah, you might not think of it that way. Um, because most people might think just the C-section is a wound. No, like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, there's a wound inside of you that's healing and just eating really nourishing. So like also a lot of meat, meat is a blood builder. So eating proteins, but not just like chicken breast, you want to be eating like a lot of the dark meats. So like chicken thighs and like some of those meats that have traditionally been like high fat meats, but no, those are the ones that have a lot of the tendons and like the nutrients and collagens and fats and like the nourishment, you know? Um, and then you don't always, you know, you can eat them in any way that you want. You can put them into soups, you can put them in salads, you can put them into, you know, here, you know, I'm in Texas. So we do a lot of breakfast burritos um, Mm. and breakfast tacos. Yeah. A little bit of meat, taco, (laughs) salsa. So I love it. Nutrition can come in a lot of ways. You know, it's not one size fits all, but listening, listening is key. Yes. 
And I think like you said, it, I mean, you have to take a moment to realize how much your body has been through. And again, that's not to scare people, but it's like, you have to respect that and honor that. And I think yeah. one way you can really do that is through what you're putting inside your body. That's just done this huge, amazing thing. Yeah. And the, and the, the worst part of it is, and I feel really protective of this, like all my new moms out there, I want to put you under a little wing and like protect you from the rest of the moms that are like, you know what you really need to do? You need to bounce back. No. You just, you just need to bounce back to who you were. No, you are now a whole completely different being. Do not let people tell you that you need to bounce back because what you really are going to be doing is bouncing forward and you're going to be bouncing forward into a whole better person. And if you hold on to this image of who you were, it's going to hold you back from, for um, becoming who you could be. And like, you could be such a better person and like a more evolved person if you bounce forward instead of bouncing back. I truly believe that for moms. And like part of it is tied up to our bodies. And just because you have a little bit more fat on your body or your, your stomach has stretch marks or your breasts have stretch marks or like maybe your hips are wider or like, I don't know, like whatever comes up, like we, maybe our faces are fuller or what I, you know, I'm trying to keep thinking like what I've heard clients say. These are all things that are true. Like these are our changes that are real and it's okay. Yes. It's okay. Just because Kim Kardashian bounced, did she even have children? I don't know. Whoever yeah. bounced back. <laughs> I, I'm I like, did she bird them? Was she the one that actually bird them? Well, I think only the first one. Good point. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, my point is like, we have celebrities that have a nutrition team, a fitness team, and they have Botox injections and you don't know what yeah. else they're getting. And let's point out they don't deal with sleep deprivation probably because they have oh, a yeah. nurse, a day nanny, right? And like that's a huge thing that we have yeah. to, you know, most, most normal folk deal with. <laughs> and then my, my final piece of this is again, to always respect yourself. And so respecting yourself isn't, this has not become a free for all. This isn't just like, well, I'm just going to let my, I don't, I hate to use in the phrase, let it go. But like, this is not an excuse to use food as a rebellion. Like you still have healthy boundaries for yourself that make you feel your best. So, yes. so pay attention to that as well. Yes. I love that. Well, this has been amazing. So before we get to our lightning round, I wanted to acknowledge you, Amanda, for the amazing work that you're doing with women and to really get some of these ideas and these beliefs that have been so tied up for so long with so many of us, especially women, um, to do with diet culture and really opening up nutrition in such a kind of approachable way that helps women really get to their kind of best selves with that. Yeah, so I well, really thank appreciate you. it. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Now let's get into the lightning round. What's your favorite book? Uh, favorite book. Um, I had an answer for this, but now I'm blanking. Uh, the, the art of eating MFK Fisher. Uh, it's a foodie book. So even my foodies out there, she's one of, she's a woman that was in the 1940s, one of the first food writers. And she's not like a casual food writer. She is like a hardcore writer that writes about food. And I just really uh, admire that she was one of the first women to do that. Absolutely. 1940s, you said? Mm -hmm. What a badass. Yeah, totally. No, really, truly. Yeah. So. Favorite drink as the foodie. I'm sure you have many. I mean, no, no, it's actually very cliche. Uh, <laughs> I love champagne and if it's, uh, and I'm a real champagne snob in the sense that like, I'm very particular about the bubbles I drink. Can you tell me which ones? <laughs> 
Oh, no, 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 no. Actually, it's just like I walked into the store. I'm like, I know I like that one and that one and that one. Funny, foodie, definitely not a good wine person. <laughs> I just know what I like and what I don't like. So I'm always like, I just don't like, I just don't like it when it's really super F, like big bubbles that are kind of like, I don't like it when it's cheap, I guess is all. Yes, I know the, yeah. Like, I hate to say it. I, yeah, um, I'm sorry. That's okay. There was a shortage of love here and I was very sad. That's why I asked. <laughs> Yeah, and I do like that would be one of them. There's one called Domaine Carneros. Um, it's a California sparkling wine that comes out of obviously uh, Napa Valley, and it's like twenty bucks a bottle. Which oh, that's I'm a good like that's, I think it's a a good regular bubble drink, but like I don't you know I drink it a couple times a month and that's it. Yeah, so one one or two bottles a month is my. Uh, <laughs> I'm not drinking it every day. Is my point. <laughs> do you have a podcast you're into right now? Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Revisionist History. So good. He's so Canadian. Good. He is Canadian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's great. He's great. Yes. That one is one of my all-time favorites. It's awesome. I can't decide if I think he would be a really fun person to have a cup of coffee with or, like, the most miserable person to have a cup of, a cup of well, coffee like, with. Could like, could you talk with him? Like, would you get a word in edgewise? Probably not. <laughs> I can't decide. I can't decide. I'd like to know the answer for sure, but anyway, he's, he seems it. like he'd be fun. Favorite TV show or movie? Um, uh, Pride and Prejudice, the BBC version from the '90s, Colin Firth. No other, no other substitution. Boom. <laughs> you know, probably a thousand times. So good. Favorite place you traveled? Uh, I've traveled a lot. Um, uh, I would say, um, oh gosh, it's so cliche. Uh, Rome, Rome, anywhere in Italy has been my favorite. Uh, I love Paris. I really, really, really deeply love Paris, even though it's like snotty and I don't speak a lick of French and I'm like real <laughs> American and like, I'm like, bonjour. Uh, I do speak French, but even still, they're still snobby because if your French isn't the right French even, so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> French I still go. Like I find it part of their, their charm. Yes, absolutely. Rome is just awesome. And I can imagine it's like, I like food a lot as well. So Rome, I just, I mean, and all over Italy, it's just, I mean, it's so fresh and the pasta is just next level. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bologna. People don't know about Bologna. Bologna is my favorite. It's where the first like medical school was. So like the university there is really cool and they, it's fun, but Bologna so good. Awesome. That's Love my recommendation. That. I haven't where made it there yet. You should go. It's amazing. Okay. I'm going to add it to my list. Now, speaking of lists of traveling, I'm sure you have one and we can't go anywhere this moment. I, I understand. But where would you go if we could jump on a plane tomorrow? Oh. Uh, all right. I'd say a couple of places. I couldn't just pick one. One, I would love to go to Quebec. I've never been up to Quebec. So if I was feeling like I don't want to travel too far on a plane, that's where I would go. If I was like, I'm really up for an adventure and I don't mind a long flight, I'd probably be like Copenhagen or Paris or um, Istanbul or something like that. Um, I'm definitely European travel all the way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. It's, it's awesome. It calls to my spirit. <laughs> yes. And um, especially if someone who, like, someone who deeply loves food, I mean, European food's amazing. So. <laughs> but you know, this isn't it. Okay. Another side note, fun yeah. fact, a lot of people are talking about in food writing right now, there's a big, like a big movement for this, that African food isn't getting the notoriety that we do, whereas we are always speaking to like European cultures as like this grand gastronomic um, uh, like threshold that we should always be like aspiring to. No, no, no. There's actually like a huge vault of food and really good food out there that's like unexplored. 
in Amer like white European descendant culture. And so I think like, I would love to explore food like all across the world, like in Africa. I just, I actually hate long plane rides. <laughs> so like, really? I'm like, yeah, like Lots I don't. travel hates long plane rides. Yeah, what it's a it? real, especially with children. Like I'm not, well, I'm not with that. kids, it's just annoying, let's be honest. Sorry to yeah. burst anyone's bubble, but it's like just yeah. not that fun. <laughs> I did it, we did it. It's just like, I don't want to do it again. But yeah, I don't, I don't do jet lag very well. I'd have to, I'm a slow traveler. Like I would have done well on boats in like the 1900s. <laughs> slowly moving Take so I can adjust over the next two months <laughs> watch out for the icebergs uh you'll appreciate this we took our 11 month old to brazil where my partner is from and it takes about 24 hours just of flights like that's not even like the whole travel time like it's wild it was really far <laughs> so far yeah, too far. Um, okay, those have been amazing. I loved all your answers. Final question before we go. Something I'm very passionate about is confidence. Um, because for me, it's where all of our, you know, great decisions can start from. So I'd love to hear from you. What does confidence mean? Confidence for me is not having to over explain yourself. You make decisions, you, you make the final decision and you don't have to have support or approval or disapproval from anybody. That is confidence to me. Not to say you don't have good judgment and you don't have integrity and you don't sometimes have to admit that you were wrong, but confidence is just not second guessing yourself. Yes. It's that trust, that deep yeah. trust. I love yeah. it. Well, thanks again so much, Amanda. This has been awesome. And where should everyone go follow you? You can follow me on Amanda Darby Coaching on Instagram, and that's where I spend most of my time. So find me there. Awesome. So we'll link it up so you can just click and follow. Thanks again so much, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Good. Thank you so much. It was nice being on with you. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. If you liked our podcast, please be sure to leave a comment or review, and be sure to tune in next time.